The interview you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia on Germantown Community Radio at 92.9 FM, WGGTLP Philadelphia, and gtownradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Kay Wood, the host of Planet Philadelphia. Linda Rosenwein, our assistant producer reporter, is here with me, and we're on a Zoom call today. We'll be speaking with Ethan Howland, and he's a reporter with Utility Dive. Hi, Ethan. So nice of you to speak with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the actual topic. I live in Portland, Maine, and I've been working as a reporter for a little over 20 years um, covering electric utilities and renewable energy and the electric power business. Today, we're going to be talking about some terms people may have heard thrown around, but not really be certain what they are. FERC, and then also PJM. This is such a wonky topic, but really important and how to get people interested in these wonky topics that actually really affect their lives and the future. I I agree. It's very wonky, (laughs) but but it's really important. So if you could start out, just let people know what FERC is. Right. Well, FERC stands for the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and they're an independent agency um, based in Washington, D.C., and they oversee the electric transmission system, the electric power markets. Uh, They also are responsible for uh, making sure hydroelectric dams are safe. They license them. So they have an important role in monitoring our energy systems in the United States. And then they are responsible for if somebody wants to build a natural gas pipeline, anything related to pipelines or natural gas infrastructure, um, they review the proposals and have to approve them before they can be built. But they're not regulating individual power plants. That is up to the states. So they're making sure that our wholesale electric system is working properly. There's no market manipulation. They're responsible for making sure that the transmission system is being planned for appropriately. And they review the requests by the companies that own the transmission system for their cost recovery so that they can recover the cost that they incurred building the system, maintaining it. And that ends up on our electric bills. So that, that's one reason why that's important to all of us. I thought that they were responsible for things that crossed state boundaries. But it's sounding like, from what you're saying, also within states transmission, no? Generally speaking, you're definitely correct. So it's interstate transmission lines and also the interstate buying and selling of electricity. 
So if it's in just one state, the local public utility commission or the state public utility commission would be responsible for that. And you were talking about transmission and I guess this brings in PJM. So could you talk about that? Sure. PJM is a grid operator and they run the electric grid in 13 states. And the states run from the East Coast in New Jersey, Maryland, and Pennsylvania across to Illinois. And PJM is responsible for making sure that every day we have electricity. Um, and they're also planning ahead to make sure that three or four or five years from now, we'll have enough electricity to meet our needs. There are members of FERC, and who is on FERC, and how do they get there? Were they appointed? How did they end up there? Yeah, so there are five FERC commissioners who are appointed by the president, and typically there are three members who are from the current president's party, and then two members you know, from the opposite party. And they have terms that run five years and they're staggered. So they can't be replaced all at once. And it's an independent agency. So even though the president has appointed members, uh, they must be confirmed by the Senate. It's, I think, thought of as relatively apolitical. You know, they're not just doing whatever the current president wants them to do, is sort of generally how the agency is viewed. So how do they make decisions and handle disagreements? They try to reach agreements among themselves so that all five members agree. But obviously, sometimes that doesn't happen. So they'll vote on a proposal, and it might be a three to two decision, which you know happens from time to time. But generally speaking, most of their decisions are unanimous. Up to now, how has FERC thought about or considered environmental issues as part of their mandate? You know, that's a great question. They're called an economic regulator, and they specifically will say, you know, we're not an environmental regulator. And in practice, what that means is that they try to foster what they call competitive electric wholesale markets. Um, All the rules are geared around trying to encourage the most efficient and the least expensive power plants to be built. They don't specifically try to encourage solar, say, or wind, or they don't try to encourage coal or natural gas. One of the things that's been happening, say in the last decade or so, is the cost of wind and solar and now battery storage has been coming down, you know, every year it gets less and less expensive. So people talk about the energy transition that we're in. And basically, renewable energy is beginning to replace fossil fueled energy 
just because it's less expensive. In parts of the country, it's less expensive to build a new solar farm or a new wind farm than to run an existing old, say, coal-fired power plant or an old gas-fired power plant. Um, the older plants are less efficient and just it costs more just to maintain them and buy the fuel for them than building a new solar plant. So we've been reading that there are some recent changes in how they're considering environmental issues. And maybe you can tell us about those and why FERC has been changing their views. I'm thinking about the way they review natural gas projects. A company wants to build a pipeline or some natural gas infrastructure. They have to apply to FERC to get approval for it. Under the new chairman of FERC, he has been steering the agency towards increased consideration of environmental issues, such as greenhouse gas emissions. But he's doing it partly because courts have ordered them to do it. Federal courts, through several decisions in the last maybe five or so years, have said that FERC is not adequately considering how these projects might affect the environment. They've also faulted FERC for not adequately considering what the projects might do to environmental justice communities. So the current chairman at FERC basically saying, we're just responding to what the courts have been telling us to do. We need to think more about the environment when we review these projects. So what does that mean exactly? For instance, on natural gas infrastructure or distributed energy resources? With natural gas infrastructure, it means that during the application process, companies will be required to provide more information about what their facilities might do. And just for example, with greenhouse gas emissions, if it's a natural gas pipeline, when that natural gas gets burned, it will produce greenhouse gas emissions. Even also just building the pipeline itself can produce greenhouse gas emissions. So FERC approved a new policy for how it's going to think about these projects. And in this new policy, they're going to give more consideration and review to these environmental issues and also looking at how projects will affect landowners and how they'll affect environmental justice communities. You were saying their structure was based on costs as opposed to, say, social justice concerns traditionally. So this seems like a big change. So I'm curious your view of how you think they might approach this. In response to this new policy, the natural gas industry, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, we're very critical of this new way of looking at um, natural gas infrastructure, and they thought it would slow down the development of new pipelines, make it harder to get natural gas. 
But they're doing it under the framework of the National Environmental Policy Act, which is just an, an act that Congress passed maybe 30 years ago that requires the government to review the environmental effects of what it does. Also, if a federal agency is reviewing a permit for a proposed piece of infrastructure, they have to go through a process and can think about how it would affect the environment. And so the chairman of FERC is saying, we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing under this new policy. And we should be thinking about these things. Um, and in many cases, they already do. So personally, I don't think it's going to lead to huge changes. I think it will maybe provide people more confidence, though, that a federal agency is thoroughly thinking about the effects of this infrastructure. And obviously, for something like a pipeline, that's going to be around for decades. So that decision to approve it or possibly not approve it has a long effect. I would assume it also would affect the utilities in the sense that they know what criteria are going to be used before they start on their projects. Absolutely. The FERC chairman says that specifically. He's saying we're establishing this criteria so that everybody knows about it and it's all clear and, you know, companies and utilities can make decisions based on this knowledge. This is what it is. But he also says, because the courts have been overruling previous FERC decisions, which he says that in and of itself creates uncertainty. So we'll be on stronger legal standing with our decisions. And that that also will benefit utilities and other companies. So I thought I also read that there was some new decisions about distributed energy resources that FERC was making. You know, our the whole power system is, is changing and FERC is trying to kind of catch up with some of those changes. So for example, about two years ago, I think, they ordered the grid operators like PJM to come up with new rules so that you could basically bundle rooftop solar and maybe energy storage, possibly electric vehicle charging facilities. You could bundle them into one package so that they can behave like a power plant and that they can then participate in these wholesale markets and earn revenue from PJM. And possibly with the extra revenue, that will encourage all types of distributed energy resources. But it would also give PJM a new tool. They could use these bundled resources in their markets as a new way of making sure we have enough electricity. So for instance, a town decides that they want to have, I guess what would be called a microgrid. And then so that town could then sell their power, excess power to PJM. 
you're right. You know, with climate change, there's more frequent, more strong um, extreme weather. So a lot of communities have become concerned about power outages. Well, they could use rooftop solar, maybe some energy storage, linking up maybe their fire department with some important buildings um, that could serve during times of power outages. You know, those outages hopefully never occur, but, you know, maybe they occur once in a while. But in the meantime, they could sell the electricity from that bundled group of resources to PJM. I'm wondering if that sort of concern, these outages, is also helping drive this discussion. It is. Last winter, you probably remember, there were rolling blackouts in Texas. There was extremely cold weather that hit sort of the central U.S. all the way down into Texas. And, you know, millions of people lost power. Quite a few people died because of the lack of heat. And that really sparked a lot of talk about how we can use additional transmission lines to move power to where it's needed. So the concern about extreme weather and climate change has gotten these grid operators to talk more and more about how can we increase the connections between each other so that if there's a problem in Pennsylvania, maybe you can import power from New York or from the West and vice versa. Since everything is changing so much, what might be some of the upcoming changes in their operation and regulations, especially as relates to the environment and the equity that we should be looking out for? This might be an indirect answer, but just for example, the rules that FERC has set up They're called interconnection rules. And basically they're about when somebody wants to build a new power plant, what are the rules for them to connect to the power system? And in the old days, that usually meant people were thinking about building a big coal-fired power plant or a big natural gas-fired power plant. And the rules are designed around those types of power plants. Well, now there are lots and lots of proposals for wind and solar, and now also battery storage. So PJM is in the process of rethinking its rules around how they study proposed wind and solar and other types of generating projects. And I'm mentioning this because Right now, it takes years for a proposed solar project, just for example, to go through a study process just to connect onto the system. So somebody's proposed the project, but before it can be built, it has to go through this years-long view at PJM. It's holding everything up. There are thousands of proposed wind and solar and battery projects in PJM that are just sitting there as proposals. 
I know this is kind of wonky, but these rules are affecting all this potential emissions-free, there's no carbon emissions from these proposals. So PJM is trying to figure out a new process to study how to review all these proposed renewable energy projects. And I should also say the reason PJM and other grid operators do this is they need to be sure that the existing grid can handle more electricity flowing onto it. It's really a safety reason for them to study this, but they're working under an outdated system. Now, I also read that they are thinking about something for the future called dynamic line ratings. The power lines uh, get rated, meaning the a utility or a grid operator determines that, just for example, a power line can handle, say, 500 megawatts of electricity flowing across it. Traditionally, they've used very conservative estimates. So the dynamic line rating takes into consideration factors like air temperature, the heat from sunlight, wind, that can affect how much electricity a power line can safely handle. And the result is that using these more sophisticated ways of measuring the uh, capacity of the power line, for example, a 500 megawatt power line maybe could handle 800 megawatts. So you're basically able to use the existing transmission system more efficiently. So more electricity can go where it's needed, which would mean maybe you don't need to build as many power plants and that would save us a lot of money. And that's in the proposal process. Yeah, and that might save the environment. I also think that would be more and more important as our weather becomes less and less consistent. That's very true. I'm wondering how the public participate in shaping any of these policies. So FERC, maybe less than a year ago, opened up a new office called the Office of Public Participation. And it's designed to help citizens who weren't able to really follow what was happening at FERC in Washington, D.C. It's designed to help them get involved in FERC's decision-making. So that's one path. There is information at the PJM website that some people might also find helpful. All right. Well, this has really been great. I thank you so much for speaking with us today. Well, thank you. It's been very interesting. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation 
to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.